tonight. Appreciate you taking time to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to lead your thoughts. Appreciate Dwight and Michelle for being here from Iowa. Um, they drove 14 hours, something like that, from around Des Moines, Iowa, um, to come down and primarily wanted to come down to be with other Christians because uh, they uh, are in an area where there aren't a lot of Christians. Um, and they wanted to come down here and they're going to plan on going to the study in Columbia tomorrow night and Tuesday night. And, um, and they, as you remember, they were here last year during our meeting, and they came to be a part of that as well. So it's, it's great to have them here, and uh, they're an encouragement to us. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives us the familiar parable of the two men that go up to the temple to pray, as Joseph just read for us. And Jesus teaches this lesson to those of his day, but the lessons are still pertinent to us today we want to make sure we're like that man who went down to his house justified and not like the other man. And so tonight, let's look at the characteristics of these two men, their attitudes towards God, towards themselves, and towards others that cause them to either be approved of God or be rejected by God. Let's look at these two men tonight. The first we want to look at is the Pharisee. The Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, and this thing's not going to work tonight. He went up to the temple to pray, and he was not justified. And one of the reasons why he was not justified is because he did not reverence God. Let's look at this again. Verse 10, two men went up to the God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This Pharisee did not reverence God. I want to tell you, he didn't. I think it's indicated by the fact that he stood. Now, I understand that the tax collector also stood, but you notice how he stood. He stood afar off and would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. There's a contrast here. I believe this Pharisee shows us that he did not reverence God. He didn't approach God with reverence. Instead, he stood and he begins to enumerate his great qualities to God. I want to tell you, we need to reverence God. God demands and deserves our reverence. We, re, we learn about reverencing God from the Old Testament. Mark's been reminding us of the importance of looking at the Old Testament, and over and over again we come back to this fact. We learn things about God. We learn about how God deals with people by looking at the Old Testament. And we do that in the subject of reverencing God. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chap <coughs> chapter 19, beginning of verse 10. In Exodus chapter 19, God is about to come down on Mount Sinai in the presence of the Israelites. And notice what he demands of them in preparation for that event. He's going to make his presence known on Mount Sinai. And he says, you guys got to do something to get ready for this. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up to the mount, up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned. Um, and or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. God said, you got to go make ready. I'm, my presence is coming down on Mount Sinai, and you have to be ready for this. And, and that meant you got to wash your clothes. 
got to clean yourself up. Because you're going to be in the presence of God. You don't know where your old clothes you've been. Wash your clothes. Because you're going to be in the presence of God. And don't ever, don't, don't think about touching this mountain. Don't even come up to the border of the mountain. Because it's going to be, if you do that, you'll be put to death. Because God's presence is there and you've got to reverence God. And notice how that unfolded as we go on in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. God's presence in the mountain. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud. The mountain is shaking and the mountain is smoking like a furnace because of the presence of God. Can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine the sight of seeing God's presence on Mount Sinai like that? A whole mountain shaking, lightning and thunder and smoke. It was a terrifying sight. So terrifying, in fact, that the whole camp trembled. And they told Moses, you go talk to God. We can't take it. That's how awesome God is. The Pharisee didn't reverence God like that, did he? No, he stood before God and began to enumerate all his great qualities to God. We're dealing with the same God that appeared on Mount Sinai and made that mountain shake and smoke. That's the same God we're dealing with, and we need to reverence Him. In Exodus chapter 33, later in Exodus, Moses is going to get to experience seeing the, the backside of God, but can't see God's face because of God's incredible awesomeness. In Exodus chapter 33, beginning of verse 18, God said, I bese- or, no, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he, that's God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a a cliff in the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. God is so awesome and so incredible that humans can't see his face and live. I don't think that's a death penalty for seeing God's face. I don't think that's a, it's a sin to see God's face. I think God's saying, if you saw my face, it would kill you. Is that awesome and that powerful? We can't handle it. That's the God we're dealing with. And that's the God that we need to revere And we need to reverence Him. Unlike this Pharisee who was exalted in his pride, we need to be humble and reverence God. The Pharisee was not justified because he did not reverence God. I'll tell you another reason why he was not justified. Was that because he was was comparing himself to others? Look back in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 verse 11. 
The Pharisee stood thus with himself and said, and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. The Pharisee was really good at looking at everybody around him and saying, I'm better than him, I'm better than her, and I'm a whole lot better than all those folks over there. He compared himself to others. I want to tell you, we've got to avoid that trap. You know, it's easy to find more people that you can see, see and think that you're better than. Oh, I'm better than that guy next door. I know what he does on Friday night. I'm a whole lot better than that. I'm a whole lot better than those folks at work and the stuff that they get into. And I'm a whole lot better than those folks in my family. I know what they're about. I'm a whole lot better. Look how good I am. I'm a whole lot better than all these people. And over and over again, the Bible tells us that this is folly. Comparing ourselves to others is not justification. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul says it's not wise to use others as your measuring stick. You're not good because you're better than other people. You need to make sure that your standard is God's word. Are we guilty of this? Do we gauge and measure our spirituality by looking at those who were around? Well, I'm, a lot, I'm, I'm doing pretty good because I know my neighbors are sleeping in. When I leave on Sunday morning, they're, they're still in bed. I'm doing pretty good. I, I know I'm doing better. I'm even doing better than some of the folks in church. Because I know some of the things that they're doing, I'm better than that. I've got to be all right. Are we measuring and comparing ourselves by others like this Pharisee did? We've got to be careful about that. And look back at chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as his tax collectors. I believe other translations say that he despised others. Yeah, look at verse 9. He despised others. Those around us, they were righteous and they despised others. Do we look down our noses at those around us who are not living like they should and despise them? We think we're better than others. He compared himself to others and he went home unjustified as a result. Furthermore, he went home unjustified because he saw no room for improvement. Where is the mention in his prayer of anything that was wrong in his life? Anything that he would ask God for help with? Read it. He went up, he stood thus and prayed with himself, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm done. Look at me. He saw no room for improvement. And yet over and over again, the Bible tells us that we have room for our improvement. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter who we are or where we are, we have room for improvement. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Notice what Paul says about this. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. I still remember the preacher who made the reference here to the idea of working out your salvation. He called it back to his days in his childhood when he was hoeing the garden with his father. And it was hot and dusty and they were getting tired and his dad said, son, let's work out this row and then we'll go get something to drink. Work it out. Finish it. Keep on going. In other words, you're not there. And Paul's instruction here to work out our salvation, to finish it out, wasn't to just some of the people that he was writing to. He would now listen. If you've been a Christian for 15 years, you don't have to pay attention to this verse. The rest of you work out your salvation. No. To everyone who is reading, you need to work out your salvation. You need to finish it out. You need to be working to improve yourself by submitting to God and His will. Work out your salvation. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I know this is true because Paul himself... Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained... Either we're already perfect, but I follow after that I may, if, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to, apprehend it, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't done yet, was he? Paul wasn't done. Paul still saw room for improvement. And brethren, we need to see room for improvement in our lives. If we ever get to the point that we think there's no room for improvement, then God help us because we're in terrible shape. This Pharisee saw no room for improvement, and he he was unjustified as a result. Furthermore, I want to tell you he took pride in his works. He took pride in his works, and he went home unjustified because of the pride that he had in what he had done. Notice again, verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Let me get back here and pat myself on the back because of all the good things that I've done. Look what I've done. In fact, Jesus is teaching this parable to those, verse 9, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They thought they had it all. Figured out they were just what they needed to be. Look at all that they had done. The Bible over and over again tells us that we cannot earn our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says we're not saved because we've got a laundry list of things that we've done that we can present to God and say, God, look at me. Just like this Pharisee couldn't go to God and say, God, I need need you to pat me on the back. I'm fasting twice a week, and I'm tithing of all that I possess. God, would you please tell me how good I am? We don't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation by the things that we've done. We don't need to be like the Pharisee. We need to make sure that we understand what Luke chapter 17, verse 10 says. Luke chapter 17, verse 10 says, So likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say we are unprofitable servants, We have done that which was our duty to do. Do we have to obey God? Yes. Do we have to obey God in all that He told us to do? Yes. But when we get done obeying God, we can't say, God, I've done this. Now you owe me heaven. You owe me my salvation. No. We need to be like this unprofitable servant and say, God, we were obedient. But it was our duty to do that. 
We don't deserve it. Any more than a servant deserves to be praised because he did what he was supposed to do. He does it because that's his duty to do it. And we obey God because it's our duty to obey God. But we can't be like the Pharisee and take pride in our works and think that somehow we deserve our salvation. We deserve to be in a relationship with God. We're saved by His grace. The Pharisee went home unjustified, but I want to tell you, the publican, on the other hand, went home justified. Why did he go home justified? Well, he revered God. Look at back down in verse 13. The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. His head was bowed. He wouldn't even look up. His head was bowed. He was beating his breast. He revered God. He revered God likely because he knew passages like Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 which says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God. The same God that made the mountain shake and smoke is the God that we serve today, the God that we're praying to today when we pray. Let us make sure that we revere Him like this tax collector did. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 Wherefore, we, receive, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, there are some folks in the religious world today that say that we ought to refer to God, to God as daddy or dad. That we ought to not get all stuffy about our religion and not be all uptight about it. We just sort of need more and more casual about it because God's like our daddy. No, God is the one who makes the mountain shake and smoke. God is the one that we should reverence and fear, Hebrews chapter 12 says. We need to serve him with reverence and godly fear. The tax collector revered God. We need to make sure that we do as well. I want to tell you something else that made the Pharisee justified is that he had an accurate view of himself. He viewed himself accurately. Now, it's ironic that the Pharisee thought he was righteous and talked about all the good things he had done. But when you would get down to it, Jesus would say he was a sinner, had lots of room for improvement. He didn't see himself accurately. But notice what the tax collector does here. Look in, uh, in verse 13. He wouldn't raise his, heaven, his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He saw himself as he was, and he was justified because of that. I'm going to tell you that if we're going to be pleasing to God, we've got to see ourselves the right way. We have to see ourselves like God sees us, not how I might inflate my view of myself and my self-importance and my self-righteousness. I need to see myself like God sees me. And how am I going to do that? How am I going to see myself? And says, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That reverence that we're talking about, revering God, that causes us to seek after Him and obtain wisdom. And that wisdom and that understanding of ourselves comes from the Bible. James 1, verse 22. James 1, verse 22 
But be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James compares the scriptures to a mirror. He says it's like a mirror. You can look in this mirror and see yourself like God sees you. Now, it's easy for me to think that my hair looks great and my face is clean when I don't look at a mirror. I could wake up in the morning and think, my, well, my hair's great. I'm ready to go, but I only have to walk by a mirror once, and I realize it's like this. I might think that my life as a Christian is great and wonderful, and I've got everything under control, everything's great, until I look into this mirror. This mirror tells me how I am. And I need to see myself like God sees me. And the only way that I will see myself like God sees me is if I read his word and compare my life to his will. This tax collector had an accurate view of himself. We need to understand that we are like him, that we have sins, and that we're not perfect. view ourselves as, and see all of our shortcomings. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says it this way. Now if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we haven't sinned, we're a liar. If we say that our life is perfect and under control, we're a liar. That was the Pharisee's problem. We need to see ourselves as we are. And we're not saying that we're justifying anyone for continuing in sin and ignoring sin. But we need to realize that when we fail and when we mess up and when there are shortcomings in our lives, we need to see them as they are. See ourselves as God sees us. And that ought to lead us to have the next characteristic that this tax collector had. And that was he had sorrow for his sin. Look at it here, verse 13. He stood, would not lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. Why do you beat your breast? It's not because you're trying to reenact the Tarzan scene. No, you beat your breast because you're sorry. He's beating his breast. That's a sign of sorrow and remorse for his shortcomings. He had sorrow for his sins, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Brethren, when we sin and when we have shortcomings in our lives, we need to have sorrow for that. And I'm afraid sometimes we can sort of get flippant about our sins, get to where our sins don't bother us. Maybe we've lived with those sins so long that it just doesn't bother us anymore. Yeah, I've got sin. I did this. I do that. But that, hey, that's just how, who I am. That's just what I am. I can't help it. Do we have sin in our life, and does it cause us to be sorrowful? Sorrowful such that we'll repent? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, beginning. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but not that you made, were made sorry, but that you, sorrow, you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. 
For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They had sorrow for their sins, didn't they? And that sorrow prompted them to change, to do better. They had the sorrow that this tax collector had for their sins. The sorrow that we need to have for our sins. Let us never become complacent about sin. Let us never get to the point that sin doesn't bother us and cause us to be sorrowful. No, when there's sin in our lives, we need to have that same attitude that caused the tax collector to beat his breast and have sorrow for the sins and shortcomings in our lives. And the, the publican, the tax collector, went home justified because he understood his need for God's mercy. He understood his need for God's mercy. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. God's mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. God should have struck me dead so long ago that no one would even remember my name. And God should have struck you dead for the sins in your life. Long, long ago. But God has had mercy on us, and we need His mercy as we fall and have shortcomings in our lives. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51, after David commits the horrible sin with Bathsheba, that leads to him having her husband killed and the death of the child that was conceived. In Psalm 51, with all this weighing on David's heart, notice what he says, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. David says, Have mercy on me. We need to have that same attitude in our lives. In Psalm 118, Psalm 118, verse 1 beginning, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let them that now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endures forever. God's mercy does endure forever. And if it wasn't like that for God's mercy... We all would have been consumed long, long ago. The Pharisee and the publican, or the Pharisee and the tax collector. One went home justified, the other didn't. The, the Pharisee didn't reverence God, compared himself to, to others rather than comparing himself to the Word. He saw no room for improvement and took pride in his works. The tax collector was just the opposite of that, wasn't it? Wasn't he? He revered God. Instead of comparing himself to others, he had an accurate view of himself. Instead of seeing no room for improvement, he saw his shortcomings and had sorrow for them. And instead of uh, taking pride in his works, he understood his need for God's mercy. And there's one more point that we need to make tonight. And that is that we're more likely to be the Pharisee. Jesus was talking to the religious folks of his day, wasn't he? He wasn't talking to the heathen. 
He was talking to the religious folks who were concerned about God, who did a lot of things religiously. And that led them, perhaps, to have the attitude where they just thought, trusted in them. They getting an elevated view of themselves. And they started looking down on others. And it caused them to not be justified in God as God's eyes. I'm going to tell you, we've got to be on guard against that in our lives. That we start to begin to think that, oh, I'm so good, and everybody else around me ought to be looked down and despised. We need to be careful that we're not like the Pharisee here. Well, I hope the things that we've talked about this evening have been helpful to us. Let us make sure that we're comparing our lives to the Word of God and that we're having those attitudes and those perspectives about ourselves that are in accordance with what we read about in God's Word. Is there anyone here that needs help with things spiritual? Is there anything that we can do to help you? If there is, would you let us know? Would you let us know while we stand and while we sing?